0: This is part three in our series, God's Glorious Salvation. Last week, we talked about one position with regard to our salvation, and that from uh, a man by the name of Pelagius, uh, a British monk from the land of Wales, who challenged Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, with regard to things like predestination and free will and God's grace. This morning we are... Well, let me, let me, uh, let me give you just a, a, a brief review of the Pelagian position. And you'll find on your notes that's the first bullet point. Uh, the Pelagian position affirms God's sovereignty... They will not deny that because it's so clearly evident in scripture. However, they will deny that God is sovereign when it bumps up against man's will. So they will say, well, 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 God is sovereign up to right here. And when it gets to me, well, then I'm in control. Would they say it in so many words? No. But they will affirm that man is free. His will is free with regard to good and evil. Remember, uh, as we talked last week, he's like, um, like the tabla rosa, the, the, the blank slate. When man is born, he is not born with original sin, So Pelagius argued, he is born neutral. Not good, not bad. It's the choices he makes that reveal whether he's going to follow that which is good or that which is bad. So there is a denial of of, uh, human depravity. And salvation, it follows, is the choice of the individual man. You choose whether you're going to be saved or not. You, you don't need God's grace. <laughs> um, you don't need a supernatural work. You just need to suck it up and uh, do it. All it takes. Well, um, by way of, of, of critique, uh, again, just summary of what we what we were talking about last week. We are sinners by nature and by choice. We are born sinners. And we sin. So, by birth, by choice, we are sinners. Um, Secondly, in critique of of, uh, the Pelagian position, salvation is of God's grace alone there must be a supernatural work of God in our hearts in order that we be saved or we will be eternally lost you you, you have to be born again completely apart from anything we do anything we contribute God is the one who saves salvation is of the Lord and uh, as we looked in a couple of places man is completely unable to come to God, unaided. I'm looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says, The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. You don't have the ability. You don't have the capacity in your natural state to come to God. You have to have supernatural help, which is which is uh, what the Bible teaches. But that's just the opposite of what Pelagius affirmed. Hence, um, the uh, the Church in different councils pronounced Pelagianism heresy. It's wrong. It's not something that the Bible teaches. Um, one last point there before I, before I go on. A uh, man's will is bound to, to sin. Scripture teaches. And we are thus enemies of God. Romans 5. Um, this morning, we're going to continue. We, we talked a little bit about, uh, ignore that, I'm we're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, l- last week we, we talked about um, the, the debate, the conversation, uh, the dis- disputation between Augustine and Pelagius, uh, both of which were born in the same year. Um, the, um, uh, th- this morning we're going to look at another man who engaged in this conversation. And he was a contemporary. His name is John Cassian. And I, uh, I, I saw this morning that I made an error in my notes. Uh, John Cassian was born in 360, not 460, meaning that he is a contemporary of uh, Augustine and of Pelagius. All four men were born within four years of each other. All three men were born within, all, within four years of each other. And uh, they were engaged in a debate. Now, you need to know a little bit about John Cassian. Uh, he's, he's not uh, as well known as uh, Pelagius or Augustine, but what he thought and what he believed is more popular today than what Augustine taught or what Pelagius taught. John Cassian is uh, the author of a position that's called semi-Pelagianism. Let me give you a little bit of background of this, of this man. He was a very well educated man. He was bilingual in Latin and Greek, important because he was able to talk to both sides of the church. Remember the, the eastern side of the church was Greek speaking. The western side of the church was Latin speaking. And John Cassian, well-educated man, he was, was able to communicate with both sides in a very articulate and persuasive manner. He was good at public speaking, and he was good at writing. So good at writing, as a matter of fact, that Pope Leo asked him to write a number of pieces on behalf of the church... Because he was uh, not only articulate, uh, he was well-educated in the scriptures, well-educated in theology, well-educated in church history. He knew the church fathers very well. He was a good one for the Pope to say, we need you to write on this or on that. Well, eventually, because of the conversation between Augustine and Pelagius, John Cassian uh, had his antenna up, and um, this debate came to his attention and he jumped into the fray. He wrote a piece at Pope Leo's request, he wrote a piece against Pelagius. And as is, as is pretty common, if somebody comes out against this, you assume that they are for the other side. Oh, if he's not a Republican, well, he's on the Democratic side. If he's not on the Democratic he's got to be on the... Well, that um, is, an, is an error in, in logic, and we, uh, we make that assumption uh, very frequently. John Cassian had a problem with, he agreed with uh, uh, Augustine on a number of issues, and, and, and said so. Um, but, but when it came to predestination, free will, and grace, does this sound familiar yet? He had a problem with what Augustine wrote. Now, he wrote against Pelagius, as did Augustine, uh, but they were not uh, on the same page together. And so uh, uh, John Cassian wrote um, in opposition to some of the things that that Augustine uh, held dear and believed that the scriptures taught. Um, Particularly, he came across... He, he, he came uh, and, and stood against Augustine uh, because he said, this, this idea of predestination and election, this idea of, of uh, God's grace being absolutely essential, um, this strikes as fatalistic. This is what B.B. B. Warfield, great uh, Princeton scholar, said in summary of Cassian's Objections to Augustine. What Augustine taught as to the calling of God's elect according to his own purpose was tantamount to fatalism. It was contrary to the teaching of the fathers and the true church doctrine, so Cassian argued. And even if true, should not be preached because of its tendency to drive men into indifference or despair. So in summary of, of Cassian's position, these are B.B. These are Warfield's uh, comments, but he, he said, this is what Cassian believed. He, he was opposed to Augustine because what Augustine taught regarding predestination, election, God's grace, man's will being bound by sin, he said it's very fatalistic, and even if it were true, you shouldn't talk about it because it drives men into indifference or into despair. Let me explain it. If if men are indifferent, it's like um, a, a singing with Doris Day. "Hey, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Um, And and that that kind of of fatalism, well, I can't do anything about it. If God's going to save somebody, he's going to save somebody. It doesn't matter. I I, I don't have to be involved in evangelism. (laughs) Because God's um, hes going to predestine some and not predestine others. Well, let me me pause here talking about semi-Pelagianism because... The charge is often given to the the Augustinian position that it is fatalistic. In error is it charged because Augustine does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that. It does teach that God is sovereign and he predestines some to salvation And he does not predestine others, but the Bible also teaches that man has a choice. Man has a responsibility. He is held accountable for the choices that he makes. There's not fatalism here. Um, If if we uh, if, if If uh, someone says, well, the Augustinian position, the Calvinist position, um, the biblical position, is fatalistic, what they're they're really pointing to is is what we call in church history um, hyper-Calvinism. Now, a person who holds a hyper-Calvinistic position um, is fatalistic. And that's the person who says, we don't need to be involved in evangelism. Matter of fact, we shouldn't be involved in evangelism because that um, misleads some people to thinking they can be saved too. Where if they're not in the Lamb's Book of Life, they're not going to be saved. And we're actually doing them more harm by presenting this as a possibility to them. Now that's that's the that that's a that's a hyper Calvinistic uh, position, which I certainly don't. Neither does the Bible. (laughs) Uh, And neither did Augustine or Calvin or a whole bunch of other people. Um, What we do affirm from Scripture is that God um, calls all men without distinction. He calls all men unto faith in Christ. But we also know that there is an internal call. That the elect, God's chosen, the, those predestined, will respond to. Um, what? What? Uh, what? Returning back here to, to John Cassian, we'll we'll talk about hyper Calvinism a little bit later. Um, uh, but just to give you that context here, uh, returning to um, uh, John Cassian, he, he sought a middle ground between Augustinianism and Pelagianism. Um, from this, this is what he drew from Augustine. I'm, and I'm quoting from Cassian right here. How foolish and wicked, then, it is to attribute any good action to our own diligence and not to God's grace and assistance is clearly shown in the Lord's saying, which lays down that no one can show forth the fruits of the Spirit without his, God's, inspiration and cooperation. Now, what Cassian drew from Augustine in that statement was accurate up to the very last phrase having to do with our cooperation. Now, he affirms God's grace as necessary for salvation. Pelagius said, you don't need it. So he sided with Augustine and said, we must have God's grace. Where he deviated from, Augustinianism, was when he says um, that we um, must show forth the fruits of the spirit by cooperation with the spirit. Now that kind of uh, man plus God thinking you'll remember from the handout that I gave you last week fits in that realm of uh, of salvation that we call sanctification. There there is a synergistic, me and God, I am cooperating with the Holy Spirit kind of working. Now, John Cassian was a monk. He was, like, like, uh, like Pelagius was, very concerned about the moral climate in the church. John Cassian was the one who, he, he, was, he was responsible for writing uh, The Eight Vices of Sin. Now, the next pope, um, uh, Pope Gregory I, a.k.a. uh, Gregory the Great, was the one who retooled Cassian's work, and he's the one who came up with the seven deadly sins. But it was based on John Cassian's work. Now, Cassian, as a monk, as he was concerned about personal holiness, was very interested in man cooperating with God and working out their salvation in the sense of our sanctification. Now the question is, um, was Cassian here, in that statement that I just read from his own work, was he, when he talked about cooperating with the Spirit, was he talking about our sanctification, Or was he talking about our justification? Was he talking about how we start a relationship with God? Or was he talking about how I work with God in um, living out a life of holiness? It's a little fuzzy from just that one quotation, but we find from other sections in Cassian's work um, that he was very much... um, Uh, talking about how a person begins their relationship with God. In Cassian's view, the semi-Pelagian view, man is not dead in sins and trespasses. That's what the scripture teaches. But he believed that man is able to cooperate with God and uh, come to a place of salvation. This is what he affirmed from Pelagius, and I think some of this will be cleared up. Again, I'm quoting from Cassian. When God sees in us some beginnings of a good will, he at once enlightens it and strengthens it and urges it on toward salvation, increasing that which he finds implanted, or which he sees to have arisen from our own efforts. So, when God looks at man, says Cassian, and he sees this man trying, grasping, working really hard to find God, that person is rewarded by God coming, aiding him by His grace and strength to give him salvation. All right? This is the um, um, what, what what has come to be called in church history the semi-Pelagian view. Not the semi-Augustinian view, but the semi-Pelagian view because it's far closer to um, uh, uh, dovetail with Pelagius than it is Augustine. Um, Cassian argued um, that original sin could not have had the effect it's Augustine asserted that it did. He affirmed that there was an ability, a capacity in man. Though he was weakened by sin, there was still that possibility for mankind to rise up and in that state, albeit weakened, God would come and visit him with the grace and extra strength that he needed in order to be saved. So here's a summary of the position. Cassian uh, affirmed, and this is the semi plagian position. Um, He affirmed God's sovereignty until it bumps up against man's will. Sound familiar? Um, He affirmed that man is partly depraved, not totally depraved, like Augustine said. He's partly depraved. He is, or or rather, man is basically good, says the semi-Pelagian position. So says the vast majority of church-going people saying they are Christians. Man is basically good. Semi-Pelagianism. Has infected, dominated, 21st century evangelical churches. Matter of fact, um, my my theological dad, R.C. Sproul, um, uh, wrote a piece one time called uh, "The Semi" or "the The Pelagian Captivity of the Church." And and by that, he was he was articulating what I what I just said. The the uh, the current um, evangelical church is overrun with this kind of thinking. Here's one way it shows up. It shows up in our in our evangelism. Um, The lost person is uh, floundering in the ocean, and there is no help. And he is he is struggling. He is fighting. He is, he, is, he is going down. Matter of fact, he's going down for the third time. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in the midst of his struggle and his battle with the water and the wind and trying to survive, out of nowhere, here comes God in his helicopter. And he throws out the life buoy to this poor struggling sinner. And the, and the buoy is so perfectly thrown. It's just amazing, astonishing. But God puts it exactly where this lost sinner needs it. Oh, he's going down. You know he's going down for one last time. It's The ring is there. The life buoy is there. All he has to do is wrap his fingers around the life buoy. And he will be saved. God's done everything. You might have heard it. Billy Graham said it. I don't know how many times. God's done, taken 99 steps to win your salvation. But the last step is yours. Ah, okay. So God is sovereign up to where my will starts. That's the semi pelagian position. Salvation is synergistic. Grace is necessary. But it is not necessary to begin salvation. Um, here's, my, uh, here's, my, here's my quick critique of, uh, of this position. Um, it has an insufficient view of sovereignty. Who is it, question needs to be asked and answered, who is it that makes the first move in salvation? For the semi-Pelagian position, man is the first mover. And then God responds. The Augustinian position says, God must first give new birth. Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 36. God promises, and he must, take out this heart of stone that is unresponsive to the things of God. It's spiritually dead. He must take out that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that actually beats. It works. God must be the first one to move. Second, there's an inaccurate view of sin. Now, now most people, and this is the semi-Pelagian view, most people think that all sin is is um, a violation of a command or conscience. That's what sin is. Now, I, I, I would not disagree with that, but that's not all that sin is. For the Augustinian position, sin is the rejection of God's supreme the rejection of God's supreme glory for anything or something else. the rejection of God's supreme glory for something or anything else. Um, They have an inaccurate view of Christ. Uh, For the semi-Pelagian, Christ is more of an instructor, an instructor unto holiness. Or the Augustinian position, uh, Christ is first and foremost our savior. Um, they have an inaccurate view of fallen man. For the semi-pelagian, man is self-moved; he is self-initiating; he is inclined, although weakly, to do what is good. He is basically good. Um, there's a there's a there's a sense of autonomy in salvation. Uh, you are able to respond. There's another illustration of from evangelism of the semi-Pelagian view. Um, the, the, The fallen man, the unsaved man, is sick, dying in the hospital bed. There is no hope. He is going to die. But wait, wait! There is hope. There is one drug that will cure this particular individual. So the doctor secures the drug and the uh the, the the drug arrives at the hospital but but the patient is so weak he is unable to sit up. The doctor has to sit the patient up he is so weak he can 't even open his mouth. The doctor has to open his mouth the the man is so weak he cannot even move the muscles of his lips around. The teaspoon that has the medicine that he needs in order to live—he is so weak that that the, uh, that, the how, that the doctor has to lit, put him up in bed, open his mouth, uh, pour that that medicine into his mouth, but but the patient still has to swallow. Salvation is still up to the individual. That's the semiplegia. Now, Kenny, I'm going to have you pass one of these out. Will you start? Okay. So I'm one short. Kenny, would, would, you, would you hand me one of those, please? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. I What's that? Oh, please. Yes. Oh please! To that is that it has an inaccurate view of believers' heart or importance in sharing the gospel. Too many times I've heard people say, if "You don't share with somebody; there's blood on your head." Oh, that's on their hands. okay. their salvation doesn't depend on us and that's a huge burden off that I think a lot of people can carry excellent point my beloved. Points, I like it I like it, I like bullet points I like bullet points very nice very nice <laughs> yes yeah, so and, that is, and that, is, that, is, that is so true um, the, what I would call the Augustinian uh, Calvinist view, um, what I would also call the biblical view of evangelism, is very, very freeing. Because because, yeah, sometimes in the heat of the moment or the nervousness of the moment I will say things, I now you really didn't mean that, or I'll forget to say something, well I, I'm going to do my best and even while I'm speaking I'm going to be praying that the Lord's going to use it, but the bottom at at the end of the day the the bottom line is somebody's salvation is not dependent upon me Very good, thank you. That's why I married you. You're so small. <laughs> All right, you will notice on your uh, chart. We're gonna we're gonna fill this in just to give you some some uh, some help to, to wrap your wrap your mind around these positions. You'll you'll notice that there is um, a, a, a bit of a space between how. Pelagius answers, Cassian answers, and, how, and then how Augustine answers. There's, there's a space there because there's going to be another position, but we're not going to talk about it today. We'll talk about that later. Right now, we're just going to uh, seek to answer the question, how is a man saved from these three contemporary men as they debated um, in writing uh, on, on these topics? Pelagius says that the author of salvation is self. You don't need grace. You just need to suck it up. All right? That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, Cassian, uh, no, let's let's talk about Augustine. Augustine says that, uh, who who is the author of salvation from an Augustinian point of view? God. God, period. Uh, Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, salvation is of the Lord, period, and of Satan. All right, now, Cassian, as um, uh, the, the, the founder of the semi pelagian point of view, would argue what? How, who is the author of salvation? Join these two together. Self plus God. You need God. You need God's grace. But you're the one that takes the first step. Oh, Jonah. Uh, chapter two, verse nine. Jonah. Jonah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <coughs> um let see here. Ah, oh, here we go. Um, as we talked about last week uh, this is auto soterism remember that? yeah, yeah. All right. Um, the Augustinian position is called monergism uh, mono from one like when you go to Disneyland and you write the Monorail. One and, and erg, erg um, uh, is the word for the Latin word for work. So salvation is the one work of God. Makes sense. Okay, light bulb went on. Maybe the semi-Pelagian point of view is called synergism. Okay, same suffix, ism, It's a belief system. Erg, it is a work. Sin, like you have a synthetic fabric. Well, it's a it's a weaving together of two kinds of of, uh, of of material. Well, here, the work of salvation. This belief system is a synergistic work. A a cooperative effort between man and God. Right? Now, sin's effect on mankind. Elijah said, uh, "There's no effect Uh, because when you are born, you are not spiritually uh, enslaved to sin." As Augustine would say, uh, you are um, neutral. Okay. Did you have a question? No. Um, Augustine says you are dead. Ephesians 2 uh, 1. <clears throat> um, Cassian says, Sin has weakened man. Now, in uh, man's man's condition, Pelagian says he he is morally neutral. Um, uh, Augustine says he is totally depraved. totally depraved is not utterly depraved. <laughs> when, we, when we use that word, totally depraved, we're, we're saying that every aspect of my life, um, my, my my physical being, my mental being, my emotional being, my relationships, everything has been stained in some way with... <laughs> it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, for, for a total depravity? Um, Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe Ephesians yeah. Uh, one. I'm with you. Yeah. All right. Um, Cassian says we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna. I'm just giving you right now the the the, the big the big picture stuff. I'll give you verses and. Chapters and stuff. um, At at another time, we we will exhaustively look at Scripture, Uh, because I mean that's that's what we have to do. in In the midst of this kind of a of a a conundrum, a a question. Well, how does this work? How does that work? We could we can spend years talking about the theories and the the thinkings of men. what we've got to do is go back to, and ask the question: What does the Bible teach? That's where that's where we have to go, and we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll look at that um, extensively. Um, but just to to, uh, to help you uh, here, Cassian puts puts these two these two ideas regarding man's spiritual condition together, and he says that man is basically. Regarding man's will, Pelagius says it is free. Free in the sense that he can um, do that which is good and pleasing in the eyes of God, or that which is not. Now, uh, Isaiah 64, 4, 64, verse 6, rather, um, says our, our righteousness, as we define righteousness, is in the eyes of God... Like filthy, bloody rags. Um, so we are not free. In Augustine's um, uh, description here of, of of what the Bible says, man is bound. You, you went know, There we go. Um, uh, Janet asked me a question this last week, or, or made a request more more accurately, that that we talk about the will of man. And, oh, we have to do that. We will. We will. Um, Just not today. (laughs) Um. Cassian agrees with Pelagius at this point and says that man is free. His will is free. He has the ability to choose what is wrong or that which is indeed genuinely pleasing to God. Regarding God's grace, just said it's helpful, but not necessary. Augustine says it is essential. Cassian, middle position, says it is necessary. Now, you might think that the word necessary and essential are synonyms. Mm, I, again, I've got to fudge a little bit. Um, Yes, we we might use them as synonyms, but I'm not using them as synonyms. (laughs) Um, Cassian will say, we have to have God's grace. It is necessary. You can't be saved without it. However, your will, what you bring to the table, is as important that's what God brings. So it's necessary, Augustine says, if you don't have God's grace, you don't have salvation because it's not up to you. You can't respond, you can't please God until God takes out that heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Okay. Two more things I want you to write down on your First, I'm going to draw a line between these two positions, between the position of Cassian and Augustine. This is called orthodoxy. What's in between? No. The Augustinian position is orthodox. Let me me tear this word, word down just a little bit. Um, the word, the, 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 the suffix there, um, doxy comes from the Greek word doketo, meaning to think. And if you know, you're familiar with the, the prefix ortho. Here I've had three shoulder surgeries. I broke <laughs> my arm at one point. Um, I, I have gone to doctors before, orthopedists, and what do they do? An orthopedist sets... Bones straight. Okay, I broke this hand, or this arm. Uh, so so when when the doctor saw me and put me in a cast, he made sure that the bone was straight. So orthodoxy is literally straight thinking. Straight thinking according to the standard of God's word. Now, it was in um, uh, 529. Uh, all three of these men died in the mid-400s uh, A.D. A little hundred years after all three men died, church was called in orange. And in 529... Semi-Pelagianism was declared heresy. We could use another word for, um, for this position, as well as Pelagianism had previously been marked by the church as heretical. We could also call this heterodoxy. Yes. Okay, so what what this means is same same suffix okay. oh, meaning um, hetero um, heterosexual. Uh, we're we're talking about a a uh, physical relationship between a man and a woman. Okay, they are different. Okay, so so. Heterodoxy is different thinking, again, from the same standard of the scriptures. So Augustinianism was declared by the church um, multiple times to be orthodox. This is what the Bible teaches. These other two positions have been labeled heterodoxy. Uh, this is other than the standard we find in the scriptures. Now it's interesting, uh, I won't take the time right now to read it to you, because I'd have to do a little bit explain, so you have to take, take me at my word. Um, but in the Council of Trent, uh, 1564... The, uh, the Council of Trent was Rome's response to the Reformation. Sometimes it's called the Counter Reformation. Um, and at the Council of Trent, which took place over, a, a, uh, I think it was like 15 years or something like that, because there were wars that erupted and all kinds of things that caused the delegates to say, "Oops, I got to go home. I got my 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 house is on fire and and I've got." Mongrels invading my uh, city, um, so it it took place over over a period of time. Um, one of the things that the Council of Trent did was it cleaned up some of the abuses in the church, the moral laxness that um, the reformers said, well, "Time out, buddy, this is not right." So they fixed those things, um, but they went on record, and you can go and. Uh, look at it um, I I pulled it right off of uh, their website Catholics website um, you can you can read it still today and it is still in force um, and it is it is still a voice of Catholic doctrine um, the council of, of Trent uh, session 6 canon 4 says that the um, Roman Catholic Church has adopted, officially, a semi-Pelagian point of view, which is interesting. Um, Back in 529, they declared it to be heretical, heterodox, and yet, uh, that's where the Roman Catholic Church stands today. Well, sadly, so does um, a lot of evangelicals. I close with this, and then we'll get to your questions. Um, Romans chapter 9. Paul asks the question What should we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? (laughs) May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Man doesn't contribute something. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, He has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will not say with me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay? to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Is God indeed sovereign in all things? What's at stake, my friends, here in this discussion is nothing less than the glory of God. And I would argue that any position other than the biblical position, which was well argued, by Augustine and many others through the ages, anything less than that is thievery—thievery thievery of God, from God, stealing glory as though man had something to do with his salvation. All right, our time is uh, short here. Actually, I, I, I cut this, my, my talk, in, in half last night. I said, I don't think I'm going to get through all of it. Indeed. Um, so I will stop here and open it up for questions, comments, clarification.